What's up everyone? This is Dariusz Kalbarczyk, co-founder of MG Poland, JS Poland, AngularMaster.dev and WorkshopFest.dev. Welcome back to Angular Master Podcast. Today we've got a special guest from Warsaw, Poland, CTO at Kobiuro. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Radio. Hi, Greg. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How about you? Yeah, everything is cool. Now is cool. <laughs> <laughs> the first question, do you have your favorite podcast? Well, actually, yes. I really like your podcast. So thank you. Oh, for thank you so much. Here. Yeah, you're welcome. You do a great job here. Um, but I also follow Angular Show um, from the international ones. And then I have also one which is sort of a outside of uh, Angular and it's called Better Software Design. Um, if I strongly recommend it for people who are really keen on domain-driven design and, and learning more about the architecture per se. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, what do you do on a daily basis? Yeah, so I'm a CTO at Kobiro. Um, I've uh, created a Polish office here in Warsaw, but we pretty much like um, remote as well. So we have uh, people from all around Poland. And not only, we also have people from Kenya. So oh, wow. uh, yeah, one of the Google developer experts, uh, Wayne, uh, is, also, is also part of our company. Um, so generally I'm doing, you know, I'm having some uh, focus time in the morning when I'm doing coding. Um, and then after that, after lunch, I'm uh, coaching and do some midterm and long-term planning with the teams. Okay. So um, uh, tell me more about your flagship product. Yeah. So we we have a website builder that has started about a year ago. Um, that's that's the main thing. If you go to kobira.com, you will see uh, everything is around the website builder. Um, website builder is pretty cool. It's really exciting projects uh, that we've started. Um, it's far the most advanced uh, Angular project I've worked so far. So uh, we're having a lot of cool stuff from um, very advanced architecture. We've started with CQRS. Um, so, so I'm talking more technically, or do you also want to know like product-wise, what, what, what does it do? Okay, I heard that you built a great team here in Warsaw. So uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how to build a successful development team here in Poland, especially in Poland, uh, especially in Warsaw. Yeah, so... Um, it all started about uh, more than two years ago when I uh, moved from Denmark, where I used to live permanently, and I moved back to my home country, Poland, uh, and I moved to Warsaw. And I started an office here. Um, so I got a job and I started an office. And um, to build a successful team, you really want to focus on the values first, because I believe all the rest you can learn, right? So obviously you can learn also, you know, things like professionalism and so on but it's it's i found it a lot harder so uh, you want to hire for attitude first right so the very important thing is when you talk to the candidate uh, who's willing to take the job 
first of all, you got to explain them why is it good to join your company. Uh, so you tell them, you know, you need to understand what's the motivation behind it. So is it the money? Well, that's not always a good answer. Uh, obviously, the money is important, but that shouldn't be the main factor. Then what you also want to know is why do you actually code, right? Why? What drives you to get better? What do you want to achieve? How do you see yourself uh, in the future? And then you just want to facilitate that shift, right? So an idea is if you want to build a successful team, you want to get people who you can trust. And in Kubira, we have this uh, analogy of Spartans. I'd rather have uh, 300 Spartans than a horde of people who don't do anything, right? So we're really, really keen on getting the best talents out there. But it doesn't mean they are the most skilled. It means they, it's a mix of attitude, ability, skills, and dedication and motivation. So I, I believe this is the most important thing. Uh, and so far, it's been working very great, very good for us. It's because, you know, people who work here and they work usually, you know, some of them are with us from the beginning, two years already. And and it's clearly a lot of time in IT, right? People tend to change the jobs every six months, maybe one year and so on. But a lot of those people are still with us until today. And I could see them grow from, you know, being a mid-level developer to be like a principal. So it's really, really um, all about your attitude, because, you know, if you have uh, if you have that, if you're really driven to get better, um, you're going to get that no matter. It's just a question of time. So the, the really important thing is hire for attitude first and then get people who you can trust. Uh, that's very important. So uh, at the end of the day, it was easy. No, it's not easy at all. I mean, obviously, we reject about 90% of the candidates. Um, okay. So it's a lot. And I know, you know, the market, right? I mean, everyone talks about the market. There is so many jobs. There is so many opportunities. And, you know, maybe some foreign companies maybe even pay a little bit more money. But in general, you know, if you have a right mindset, I don't think there is a lot of places, maybe not many. I could maybe count one or two in Poland where they also have the same mindset towards building uh, things. Because, you know, we're really strong on test-driven development, domain-driven design, architecture first. Uh, we're really strong on tests. We have 100% code coverage. We take it very seriously. And if you join Kobiro, you're going to actually work with the smartest people you ever met. So that's really, really cool. We wanted to model it like Google does it. So, you know, only hire really smart people. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's not easy because, you know, like um, most of the people simply, you know, they either uh, not fit or, or maybe, you know, that's not the right time for them or whatever. But in general, um, it's not easy because you have to filter out a lot of people and uh, it's very challenging. You really have to put a lot of hours to interest someone in your company. And, you know, just the fact that we are here talking about uh, things is also it's also helping a lot because I believe we, 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 uh, 
we pretty recognized. Like people know my YouTube channel and so on. So uh, it's not, it, it helps, but it doesn't do the job, right? You still have to go there, talk to people, uh, review them, give them tasks. Uh, then when they are already in your company, you have to take care of them, right? So you have to facilitate their growth, their professional and personal growth. So it's a lot of job. It's really a lot of job, but there is nothing better than seeing a guy, you know, improve uh, in front of your eyes and getting better. So that's very rewarding as well. So what were uh, biggest problem along the way? Yeah, it's quite a few of them, but I think it depends on the time because on the beginning, I would say the biggest problem was I just didn't have enough time, right? So I've, I've been working a lot, uh, many hours to to connect things. And on the beginning, I had to learn stuff I haven't even done before, you know, like uh, legal stuff or whatever, you know, like uh, I, I was one man army to, you know, build this whole thing ground up. Um, and then on the same time, being inspiring, answer a lot of questions. So multitasking, that was one of the biggest problems in the beginning. As, as we grew and we got more people, um, bigger problem was to actually build like the managerial structure in a company, you know, like uh, to actually be able to delegate, you know, like I like you need to learn to give someone else the power to do great things, you know, and. And that was uh, that was also challenging. And then eventually, um, when the whole situation of Corona started, and you know people, um, you know, going remote first, and we, you know, this is a lot of challenges. Oh, so we are no longer really an office first company, maybe you know, like all those exactly. things you have to adjust it. Yeah, exactly. The com the office first was um, yeah. It was yeah. normal, but not now. Yeah, it's not now, but I think it's a benefit. So people often ask me, it's like, you know, uh, should you should you actually allow people working from home? I would say yes. I mean, if you trust them, you hire them to work in your company and then they actually perform and they do very good. And if they are better about working from home, it's also a case, then why not? I mean, it's a, it's a win-win situation. Exactly. Sometimes it's not a win-win situation. Sometimes they don't work so well at home. Then you have to facilitate them and help them to actually, you know, get into the habit. I personally find out that I'm more effective working from home but i'm less of a team player because of the communication barrier um so there is a trade-off that people have to be aware of just facilitate a little bit more online meetings and so on yeah yeah always the communication is the the biggest challenge here mm -hmm. if we talk about remote working yeah yeah but it's fun, you know, I mean, the idea has always been a dream of mine, the rest, a lot of people that, you know, technically, you're just thinking globally now, right? Like, yeah. maybe, maybe you, you don't need to be in New Warsaw or somewhere else, maybe you yeah. want to move countryside or do whatever else. I, I think it can actually change the way we think about the cities as well. But that's a whole another story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. What are your goals in Kobe now? Yeah, so we have uh, we have a lot of different things. So we have a short-term goals and long-term goals, and and I have my own personal goals. So in general, my my personal goals would be to uh, for, uh, at the moment like to take care of the employees that are currently in the company, uh, finish a, uh, you know wrap up a year, and then and then move to the new year with much stronger technical uh, vision. Uh, which would involve things like NX, 100% uh, of NX in all of our products, 
um, remove all the legacy, um, move towards even driven architecture everywhere. So th there's a lot of things technically. And also personally, I would like to empower more people um, uh, share what we've learned here in Kobiro, do more open source. Um, so there's a lot of things actually going on. So uh, you mentioned it this a little bit before, but what kind of people are you looking for? Yeah, so the people who... So we have a three different values, um, and those values are around things like uh, business first, technological savvy, and professionalism so really i like the perfect match would be meeting all three of these right so when you build something you want to be proactive ask questions get um, think about the your end users think about the business first and then think about the technology because then you know the technology will be there for sure and you're gonna eventually code it but don't use technology as the most important goal use the business and the user experience first and then use the technology to support that that, that would be one of the things um, so you got to be proactive, not just active, actually proactive, productive, and so on. Then when we go into the technology, you really want to be willing to learn about architecture, which is not very common on front end. A lot of people will think front end is just a UI layer for the back end, which is not totally not true, at least not on the product that we do. Like the website builder, you know, uh, it's actually all running in your browser so it's a lot more advanced than, than that. And then we have even sourcing. It's a lot of good stuff. Generally, um, you need to be able to learn that and apply it and try out your things. And it's okay to fail. That's totally fine. Then, then you just you know get better, right? But just don't repeat the same mistakes all over again. Um, and then, uh, and then there is a professionalism, you know, like this is actually the, the hardest part, uh, I, I found here looking for people is to get people feel ownership of what they do. Um, obviously ownership is very easy when you actually achieve successes, but then be also accountable for what you do. Right. So when you see an error or you see a bug, go and fix it don't wait for the ticket you know don't don't get uh, don't point to someone else like be a good team player be professional around it just you know obviously let your product owner know that there is a, such a case but then go ahead and fix it straight up put it on the slack channel you know have this ownership it's it's not very tangible you can't really count it but you can clearly say who's really caring for what they do and this is far most uh, important thing for me but also the hardest to find yeah uh, that's well said okay so uh how do you make sure that these people stay in your organization yeah so this is so in Kobira we have a meritocracy which means we reward people based on what they bring to the company not their status or, you know, their past or, or, I don't know, color of the skin. That doesn't matter at all. You know, we're blind to those. We really care about what do you bring to the table. And then if you bring a lot to the table, you get, high, you get promoted higher and higher. If you just, you know, um, sort of um, 
I don't care attitude, you're probably not going to get along. We're going to discuss things, challenging talks when we can talk, okay, you know, it feels like you don't meet some of the values, like how can we get it better, right? And that's not always pleasant for some of the people, but the people who really embrace our style, they um, they stay around and, 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 and they're really happy for working here because there's not many companies that actually do that. A lot of companies would be like the corporation style when you you know you need to be you know knowing soft skills how to get by and we don't really care about that we really care what again what do you bring to the table so the thing is we've built a lot of models around that uh, how to support those progression of careers so for example we have uh, if you join Kobiro and you want to learn that's the most important thing then we're going to facilitate that. And then we're going to have, uh, you know, one-to-one talks with you. We're going to have uh, career planning meetings once a month at least. Then we're going to have, um, uh, we're going to have a, something called skill grid. A skill grid is an Excel spreadsheet in which we divide your technical abilities into different columns and then different skill levels. And that way we we have a discussion with you, let's say at least once every three months when we're gonna say, okay, looking at your pull request, we can tell like uh, you're really good at that. Uh, you're not so good at those things. What do you wanna develop, right? And then we're gonna facilitate that. We're gonna facilitate maybe switching the teams if you wish, or maybe that's gonna be fitting better your goals in the future. So there is a lot of movement uh, in between the teams. Uh, also we have different products coming up so then you can try new things you can try some flagship stuff so we facilitate we try to adjust to what you want right and then uh, just keeping people happy is really meeting their expectations and their goals right so if I want to become senior in about a couple of years we need to facilitate that, drop that, uh, like, um, do, uh, chop that goal into smaller goals and then take it one one day at a time, right? Get get a little bit better. And then, you know, we're going to have your part, we're going to have our company view on this, and then we're going to meet somewhere in the middle and, and, and improve. So if you're here for the right reasons where you want to actually develop and work with, uh, you know, cool stuff, we're going to facilitate that for you and, and then create a measurable small goals along the way where you can actually achieve them and then you know it's pretty common people get actually raised twice a year in in Kobiro. if they really progress and get better you know every six months it's quite common to get a raise it doesn't mean you'll definitely get it every six months it means you have to work for it to actually do it but if you do it's no problem that's really good that's really good for people uh, small steps is always perfect Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, as I could understand, it is possible to work with you remotely also. Yeah, we have a lot of people working from different parts of Poland as well. Um, so yeah, absolutely no problem. Perfect, perfect. What technology do you use and why is it Angular? Yeah, so Angular is because I love the framework. <laughs> I mean, it's been there <laughs> since I came. So it was also a big part of why I joined Kubira, right? But generally, um, so the technology stack we use is, we use NX for monorepo. Uh, we have uh, about 300,000 lines of code in there. So it's quite big. Um, then we have our own home grow. We have really two monorepos. One is the open source that we just gonna move our open source packages there. 
called Handyman. And then the other one is, uh, is our uh, corporate insight monorepo, which is private. And then we're going to have, uh, you know, we, we have Jest, we have ESLint, we have Pact for testing. We have, um, we have PHP on the backend, but also NestJS. Uh, we experimented with one hackathon for NSJS, and now we're going to move more towards building some new stuff in NSJS, but of course also maintain our PHP infrastructure. Uh, we also have some Node.js on Lambda, we use AWS, but we also have some Google Cloud Platform uh, on the side. So there's a, you know, on the DevOps side, we use a lot of cool stuff like uh, Kubernetes, Helm, Dockers, and, and whatnot. Um, but on the front end, uh, it's mainly our own homegrown um, Angular packages uh, and Angular 13. So we always keep it updated um, as soon as it's stable and, and everything is fine, we just update it. So Angular is because it's, I believe it's the best framework. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> I love this framework too. If we talk about PHP, what kind of framework you use with PHP? Yeah, so actually it's very funny because in both cases, even though we use Angular and, and okay, so to answer your question, we use Laravel okay. uh, and Symfony. Mm, but uh, it's not really 100% true. It's because we follow this clean architecture approach in which you would treat a framework as just an adapter to get in your code running. Um, so we don't marry a framework. If you look at our... Uh, uh, in our Angular code, or if you look in our PHP code, you will see TypeScript and PHP. All our domain logic is pure TypeScript. All our command handlers and application logic is also pure TypeScript with some RxJS on top of it. Okay. Only in the components and resolvers and pipes, that's where you're going to see it. But then technically it's easy to just switch frameworks for us because all our business logic and connection and, and so on is done in, in pure TypeScript. So um, yeah, it's just facilitated that way. We use framework to achieve our goals, but we don't think in frameworks when we call. Okay, okay, I understand. So the biggest Angular challenges you've come across? Uh, that can be answered in so many levels um, because... Uh, uh, we have time. Okay, <laughs> cool. So I think let's talk about biggest challenge in Angular in general. What I found uh, is reactivity. I believe uh, for people to learn solid, you know, um, reactive programming approach is hard. And I agree, it's hard. It took me years to learn. So I would say... It, it, this is the biggest challenge, um, you know, learning about the subscription, learning about unsubscribing, learning about, you know, um, those things. Then, then as long as you go further, you will learn that, you know, uh, the difference between smart and presentational components is maybe not what you think. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of time people will use a presentational component to really cut a piece of HTML and then just put it and keep it reusable. But the problem with that approach is your components are really tight coupled to your smart components. So then you will have to go ahead and copy all your services, all your subscriptions, 
And you see, really, it's not really reusable. Just because you have input and output, it doesn't mean you really embrace the presentation components. Actually, we have a one rule. Don't write your presentational components uh, if you don't have to. And I can prove to many, many people that actually there are at least six steps before uh, you, you really need to write your presentational components. You know, like there is even Angular material. I mean, we use that extensively, right? Why, why would we need to, you know, build our own? And there is CSS classes. I mean, don't create components like buttons, right? I mean, you could build directive. There is a button already in HTML. Obviously, there are some cases where you really want to do it because, I don't know, some templating and stuff. But that's, as I say, like start with classes, go to directives, then go to already existing components in Angular material. Well, if that doesn't exist, okay, consider a presentational component. And, and really ask yourself a question, is it really presentational component you're building or is it smart component that has to be reused? So, and there is also like page component. So we created the whole science behind Angular, which is not really taught anywhere. So it sounds mysterious, but it's really it's really exciting because we have a lot of answers. When when someone comes in and join our company, they they start to feel like, wow, there is another world, really. Like you know, like event bus, right? Most people don't even know it. Like we used to be silly and ask those questions on our interview process, and we realized, okay, no one knows about it, so don't ask it, right? Don't ask questions you don't like the answer. So, <laughs> so we started to actually, you know, uh, go around and and switch our focus from not expecting to know those things, but actually teach people in the most efficient way to use it efficiently as soon as possible. So, so we move towards that instead. Um, so, yeah, because we have a lot of stuff like, I don't know, feature flags, you know, how many people do feature flags these days? Um, not many, to my knowledge. Um, and, you know, services and states and command buses, and there is a lot of things really going on. And most of the people just think Angular, like a framework, resolver, service, and component. And maybe NGRX and NGXS, which are great tools, no doubt about that. But um, but there is more to it, actually. Yeah, exactly. By the way, you are relatively new on a Polish scene. Uh, tell us your story. Okay. So, I yeah, it feels I'm new because, okay, so I've, I'm Polish, uh, grew up and, you know, I was raised in Poland. Um, but uh, after finishing my study, I moved around. I started to live in another countries where I started to, you know, learn more about the programming and I finished my university in Copenhagen. Um, and then I lived there for 13 years and then I moved back to Poland. So that's why I'm sort of new. And I've never really think, I never really thought that, you know, I don't know, start my YouTube channel or start my Twitter account. I was just focusing on myself, sort of selfish approach. And then like learn as much as I can. And then eventually people started to tell me like, Greg, I mean, the stuff you tell, like no one tells. And I was like, nah, it's not possible. I started to Google and yeah, it, it was not a common knowledge actually. And, you know, I, I grew my career to CTO through architects roles and startup CTOs and whatever, whatnot. And so I always took it the hard way, uh, you know, like always got myself on the deep waters, right? And then learn from that. 
And and after many years of doing that, I, I, I felt like I should contribute to it. So I started my YouTube channel. I started to do some meetups. And then it naturally attracted some of the people. My content, by the way, is not really for... Um, for new guys uh, because i believe there is a big gap uh, so there is a lot of like you know code uh, tutorials that are like how to get started or building a to-do app but not many people talk about the advanced topics of architecture uh, design patterns and and a lot of and i'm also full stack by the way i'm doing backend and front end so I've uh, took a lot of inspiration from the backend code because these days, you know, your browser is really like a server. Like it really can run so many things. I mean, and people forget that. People only think, I don't know, maybe PWA or something, but th th there's so much more. Like you have IndexedDB in your browser, you know, you have like uh, WebSockets, you have uh, Firebase. Hey, you have Firebase. Why do you yeah. need the backend, right? Exactly. Just connect you with have Firebase. Everything. Exactly, so many things. So, you know, like I think it shifts, you know, and it saves a lot of money on your infrastructure as well. Uh, when you're in the startup mode, you know, when, when, when computing is a scarce resource, you really start to become creative about those things as well. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, that is beauty of this. Yeah, I mean, Angular is so awesome. It's really a framework that gives you all... Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So people complain about hiring talent in Poland and um, especially in Warsaw. Mm -hmm. How come you attract to so many people in uh, such a short time? Um, you know, and you have a lot of uh, biggest and uh, more known companies around here. Mm -hmm. So how you do that? Yeah. So... Uh I would say one of the most important thing is that you, so it's, just, it's sort of like a selling technique, right? It's like you want them to come to you. You don't want to go to them in a way, you know, you want to facilitate that they first know about you through uh, employer branding. So technically, you know, organizing meetups is important thing. Having a YouTube channel, uh some companies have blogs um so that's cool that's that's really good because make yourself known and by the way i've been a speaker last year on ng poland that helped a lot so thank you for that opportunity thank you um, so much it's been it's been incredible actually some of people who work here they saw me on ng poland so you know uh step number one make something interesting step number two share it with the world step number three get people invited to join your journey, right? I believe that's how it goes. And if you just, sure, you can be a big company, but work on bad projects. I mean, you can work on projects that are not exciting. Yeah. You don't have a good tech. Uh, you don't have a good people who can also help you grow other to people. To grow, yes, exactly. Yeah. So people first, technology follows, and then make something interesting and, and be passionate about what you do. You know, like just, you know, I'm so passionate about building stuff in Angular and Next.js as well. So, and PHP, of course. But, uh, you know, in general, be like when, when I talk to people and I tell them my story, like, you know, this is my life. This is my goal, right? This is what I want to do. And I'm going to do everything to achieve it. Whether I achieve it or not, 
doesn't matter because the the way is the goal not the end goal so you know if you enjoy what you're doing and get it you know take it one day at a time and achieve your small goals and push things forward if by the end of the day you go to sleep and you close your eyes and you answer one question am i better than yesterday if yes everything is great if not something to change yeah totally true that's true uh do you do open source yeah we do open source we started to do it actually it's a part because you know we had a couple of people uh working on our internal tooling and then uh, we were like okay why don't we why don't we tell all the people around about it then we started to tell about it and people were like oh that's cool and you know you can tell you're really advanced when people start not to understand what you're talking about <laughs> it's pretty funny so generally obviously i didn't do good enough job to explain it but in general i would say uh you know just uh, make something really cool and then share it with the world because you know it's not part of our domain logic it's not part of our business it's just some sort of an infrastructure we do even driven architecture um by the way i just spoke with a guy from ngxs and i think we're going to port it to ngxs as well uh, in in lab so fingers crossed for that project. yeah that, that's amazing yeah and then uh, then we also do feature flags So you know this is uh, this is quite a problem in in many companies and everywhere I worked before uh, because you know like when bug happens in Kobura we can release it within minutes uh, we we don't have it just takes 10 minutes for CI to run and test all our stuff obviously it also depends with acceptance testing and end to end testing and so on we get that so sometimes it might be a little bit longer but the hot fix can really ship within a minute um and and that's really cool and we wouldn't be able to do it without continuous delivery continuous uh, uh, uh deployment and feature flags so if you go to kobira and you open up our uh, app you will actually have you, you will download a lot more than you can see but then our product owners can switch toggle on and off some flags in the ui and then you will suddenly start seeing more functionalities so we we open source that you can you can download it um then we also have uh how can i find it oh yeah you just go to our github kobira okay uh, and then you'll find it there we started a new project called handyman and we're going to port more and more in there but if you want to find already working uh things uh you can go to our npm uh, at kobira and, okay. and you're going to have a lot of uh, a lot of public packages there as well yeah perfect perfect so uh if we talk about tests uh, can you explain how we do that yeah i i love this is actually i think this is one of my favorite topics so generally uh you we really take tests seriously it's 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 the most one of the most important thing of being good developer in my opinion like i really think being a senior developer you really got to understand testing and there are so many layers of what you can do with tests so we follow the pyramid of testing so we have a unit test as the most base the, the most amount of testing code is in unit tests then we have some integration tests and acceptance tests these are our state logic and as well as integration with our backend we use pact so we use something called contract driven testing which means when you code and we have a cross functional teams where we have backend and frontend together 
and then we make a pair for the feature. And then a front-ender will write an integration test of the service, Angular service, like HTTP, for example. We will write the test first, and then that will get published to the packed broker. And then the backend can fetch it and verify. So we start with a failing test in between the connection. And if backend change anything, you will actually end up with a broken contract. And that way, they cannot really merge that code. They would need to create a new version of the endpoint. So we don't really have those regression in between the front end and back end. That's pretty cool. And it gives you all this nice graph of connection, what services and front ends talk to each other. Um, then we also have end-to-end -end test. We started with Cypress. But um, we moved away from it. It's because uh, we use Datadog for our monitoring services. And it already ships with synthetic tests. It's really a no-code like for end-to-end -end testing. So even a product owner can set up some basic rules um, and, and have it running. So, um, so it, it facilitated. We didn't have to write all that code. We, actually, it's funny. We wrote it. Then we didn't want to maintain it. And then we found, oh, there is a tool already doing that. So we moved to it. Um, and then uh, we also have test-driven development approach. So you would write the test first, then you would fail, uh, then you would write the code, you would make it pass, and then you would refactor your code. So in general, we work in those small cycles, uh, but it also means you know your code needs to be testable. So we really care about you know don't make too many dependencies in your classes um, you know uh, create all the test doubles create your stops mocks assemblers whatever so there is a lot of things you have to do to actually ship a feature and about half of it is test and it's very often actually people ask me does it make sense i mean you know you half a slow well i don't agree <laughs> fundamentally i don't agree is because if you write tests, you are slower on the beginning of the project. Yes, because you don't produce some much code. And, you know, trust me, on the beginning, no matter what code you produce, it's going to work and it's going to look nice. Now, there is this moment about maybe a month or two down the road where things start getting shaky and you're really cognitively not able to understand it all yourself. You start making a lot of mistakes because you didn't have tests to actually, you know, stop you from writing bad code. So you actually start, you know, rot your code inside. And then eventually it's just back fixing. And that's the moment people want to quit your company because they just don't like it. Right. So invest in your tests from the beginning. It doesn't because, you know, in the other way, if you don't write tests, you explode on the beginning with the features and then you slow down big time. If you write test TDD from the beginning, you have uh, the same angle of your progress, which means you're not slowing down the road. Obviously, there could be some major refactor, adding some extra um, abstraction layers in your code, but you, you write it a lot more efficiently. And if something happens, that's usually an edge case that you didn't think about. And there is this one specific place where you know where you need to go. You just need to add an extra test, regression test case, and then things will just work. You know, So your back fixing, your maintaining of the code base, your refactoring, everything is so much easier that without the test, it would be not possible. And that's how we actually roll. <laughs> yeah, totally agree.
Totally agree. So, uh, how do you develop a feature, a new feature? Yeah. So, uh, obviously, um, let's talk about the sprint uh, cycle because there is a lot of planning going on before and, um, you know, like on a strategic level and so on. But let's say a team needs to develop something. So we would obviously have a planning session and and then it would be refined before and, you know, estimated. And we, we have a full scrum going on. And then when you actually, the coder knows what he needs to do, it's been planned and he starts to work. The first thing, obviously, you want to write a, a failing acceptance test, like end-to-end test, for example. And then uh, it's written in like um, in like a product understandable language, like given when then and so on. And then it's a failing test. You go and write your you know your layers of abstraction, maybe a component, maybe your uh, state logic, maybe your services, maybe some local storage is involved. Whatever it needs to be done, that you do on TDD basis. You connect the layers. You can actually split the tasks in between the team members because you will have a big task, which is cross-functional, end-to-end, and then you will have, like, I don't know, a, a, a social login, whatever, you know? And that task will contain the back-end and the front-end tasks. Like, we, we, we count as task as done if it's actually... Use, it can be used by the user, right? So if the user can go in and click that uh, Facebook button, for example... He will get logged in and, and use our system. That's when the task is done. So obviously, sometimes it's too big of a work. Then we have to chop it down in smaller pieces with some limited functionality and so on. But in general, then the, the front end and the back end will agree on a contract. They will uh, also have some uh, end-to-end test that's failing. And then they will go its separate ways and build it. Uh, they do the TDD cycles on, on, on each side. And then they meet in the middle. Um, and then by the end of the sprint, which is one week long, for example, in our case, they will uh, have a working feature. Well, sometimes not, then it's okay, it just goes to the next, the next sprint. But in general, um, idea is that they would finish, complete that work, uh, and then meet in the middle, and that will just work. Because you had contracts, you had end-to-end tests, and we, we actually don't have QA. We don't have a manual guys who actually click around. I mean, obviously, product owners test their product all the time and have some usability testing and so on. But we don't have like a manual guy who clicks buttons and checks if things are working. We have it all automated. So, yeah, idea is to, to complete the work in small chunks with full, full code coverage. Yeah. So uh, can you compare the, the backend um the php backend and the um, nestjs backend which one is better for which feature hmm. so there is a lot of uh, th- th- there are some political situations as well like okay. you know maybe you have like a legacy code already written in php then you don't have much choice right but in general if you create a brand new feature a brand new service i would s- uh, yeah okay i i, I might uh, regret that so i don't say it because everyone is listening but no no uh, it's i'm just asking because it is it's interesting you said you use uh both mm-hmm. so so maybe it's some reason if it is a legacy code yeah uh, no right. question at all yeah mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it really depends on the person uh, because yeah. uh, you, you you choose. You know, you you as a team member, you decide. And we have uh, so a lot of people. So how would this whole nest situation happen? Is because a lot of people in our company who are uh, really great front end developers, they said. I would like to do some backend as well, and maybe they already worked with backend. Maybe we have some people I don't know trying Kotlin and and different Java or whatever, and and they would like to actually do end to end tasks because you know our DNA is end to end tasks. So yeah. now we we have one guy doing both, and that's very interesting for some of them. And we were like, okay, what framework? And then we uh, obviously like NestJS the most, and then people were like. Let me do it. Uh, let me let me learn about it. So if I have a guy who's uh, really keen on using NestJS, he can choose and go with NestJS. It's really on on on, on a person. I personally um, wouldn't influence that. Uh, if I have a good backend developer who's used to PHP, he will go ahead and do it in PHP. Okay. But you know, PHP eight is actually pretty fascinating as well. Um, it looks a lot like TypeScript now, like uh, with a lot of features. So uh, don't think, you know, a lot of people think PHP like uh, five or four. No, no, no. I, I really like but, PHP, by the way. I, yeah. I am a C-sharp developer, but I, but I really like PHP, especially the, the latest version. Mm. It's it's really great. So, so that's why I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think, so... NetJS is a lot less mature in our company. In PHP, we have a lot of libraries and a lot of stuff. So naturally, that would be a first choice for a lot of people in our company. But if you want to experiment and maybe build something easier, then uh, just go with NetJS. But by the way, um, engineering and architecture stays the same. Like those standards don't change. We use hexagonal architecture, for example. And then uh, you, you obviously it depends on the case. Sometimes you want to build CRUD applications, you know, just have MVC approach sort of like uh, with uh, JSON being your view model. Then that's fine too. If we really want to be like sort of like a chameleon where you're not uh, forcing people on very advanced architectures if yeah. they don't have to. If the problem is easy, we rather have it done easy and then upgrade it along the way. One of our values is iterative perfection. So we don't strive for perfection from the first day. We actually want to get it better. The only answer is, is it better today or tomorrow? Is it going to be better if I do it? And then eventually you get the time is irrelevant, really, because uh, uh, it's what you deliver for the end users and 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 yeah, but I sort of dive it away from a question. I would say it depends. Okay, <laughs> that's that's the better answer I can <laughs> hear. Okay, how about uh, junior and mid-level developers? Um, do they exist in Kabira? They do actually. Uh, okay, they are my one of my favorite developers actually. Uh, the reason why is because I see them grow. Um, so. And they are full of passion. You know, I, I really love working with uh, less experienced developers, even though there is a huge gap in knowledge and so on. And I have to be really careful not to, you know, go sideways with my explanations, right? Just give enough of information so the head doesn't explode. But in general, I would say uh, uh, they are the best. I mean, they are like, you know, the first in the office, you know, and they are uh, the first ones asking, what do I do now? You know, and, and so on. So they are really cool. And, and actually a funny tip is it's with this level of passion for coding, you achieve 
greater results faster and very fast you can actually become really good if you have a right coaching and mentoring um which we do uh but in general i would say um a lot of senior developers you know they might be a little bit like complacent and i already know it all and that's not a good type we we don't have many of these guys in kubira of course but in general when they come on the interview and so on you can really tell like you know lack of humbleness and so on i really think a lot of seniors can learn passion from younger friends i would yeah. say so they they are really good about it yeah Okay so how often uh, do you uh, release uh, what is your release cycle multiple times a day so just we, we don't even count it we don't do semantic versioning or anything like that we just release it whenever the feature is ready and it's ready within a day for example so we don't do big bang releases uh, you don't wait for weeks uh, funny thing we had some uh, bug series bug because some external api just changed and then we realized oops you know we are in trouble uh, we, it was a missing header but in general um we could release it 2 minutes later so okay. it's it's just you know and i was like sitting with the rest of the team and I was like thank god we actually have got to this deployment right guys i mean imagine now that the, the users wouldn't be able to log in for days or for two yeah. weeks is it's horrible yeah so we release many times a day it's not a big event it's just you know it's switching a toggle in the ui really okay okay that's great so what is quality assurance to you yeah great question so to me quality assurance is not a person is a whole team effort and quality assurance obviously means you want to assure quality which means so many things it means you're serious about writing tests automatic tests you're serious about reporting bugs you're serious about you know uh going extra mile with edge cases um it's also you know um you you just you really wanna be proud of your work i believe that's it if you really if you really think that what you're building is to make you proud you will have a high quality assurance and you don't need a person to do it and to check it for you because think about it i mean if you think you're a public person or or you something you will make sure you shave when you go on the street and you know you tidy up yourself obviously you do because you have high standards to yourself and and it's the same with code if you have a high standards to what you do and your goal is to actually make yourself um feel good about what you do um you 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 100% confident that what you do is the right thing and if you don't you ask you proactively seek for answers you curious person you will find those answers obviously you know not always you're going to you know be 100% right obviously no one is but you know it's an it's an attitude i believe it's an attitude it's it's not a role it's not a person it's it's everyone working in a, in this symbiotic vision yeah yeah exactly uh i have a last uh, technical question Mm-hmm. How do you deal with the legacy code? Mm. 
Actually, maybe unpopular opinion, but legacy code is the best. The reason why it's the best is because it does so many things to you. One is you start seeing how well did you improve. That's a good thing. So, you know, you want to look at your code from last couple of months and want to say, who wrote that code? It's such a horrible code, right? Then you say, oh, I made a great improvement. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's pretty yeah. good. So it, it makes you feel like you actually, you know, you know something. So it's, it's a good thing. Um, the second thing is it opens a new business opportunities because the people who wrote that code in that snapshot of a time, they knew only what they could know. So they did the best job they could, but the business changed. The, the user needs changed. Now, when you actually touch that code, you have a great opportunity to make sure you deliver a better quality for your users. And that's awesome. And obviously, how do you deal with it? Well, the very first thing you really want to have is testing. Make sure that if you change anything, it's gonna not it's not gonna break, right? It's not gonna blow on you in the midst of nowhere. So generally, make sure that you have your business rules written down in a test case. That, that, that's, that's the most important thing. And then start playing around with it. Then, you know, draw a diagram, say where I want to be at the end, then assess that work and say, well, that's months of work. So chop it down in smaller pieces and say, okay, um, so... I will do only this. And it's pretty funny because sometimes you talk to your people and say, why did you do those things in a pull request, right? Well, I did it because it facilitated me to go there later. And then people actually get it and it's pretty pretty exciting. It's an iterative process of getting it slightly better. But sometimes business could have changed so much that you can actually treat it as a greenfield. So you just build it from, from the zero up and then, uh, and then just switch uh, uh, routing, for example. So we, we also do that. So we have sort of two approaches. If it's fixable, fix it in a small iterations, delivering the values. Uh, and then if it's not really fixable because it changed drastically, just write it from scratch and with the proper you know, testing and so on. And another really good thing about writing with the legacy code, one of our uh, employees told me that once and I was like stunned, I didn't know it before. The, when you work with legacy, everyone is so scared about working with legacy. No one will count your time working on it because no one wants to take it. So if you actually use that opportunity to create something great, you can get some extra time to build it better. So it, it's pretty fun, but it's really, it's another level of challenge. You know, um, it's not as easy as writing the same thing from scratch and, and you know, get it. Uh, Greenfield is nice on the beginning, but then eventually it's boring. Uh, but legacy is not. Legacy has some, you know, hidden gems right there. You know, you never know what's going to pop up. So it's pretty fun, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well said. So, Greg, um, what kind of person is Greg? And uh, how do you see yourself? Uh, okay. What this is my favorite question. Yeah, yeah, I can tell. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. What kind of person am I? I believe it's another person who should tell me what kind of person is Greg. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we should ask other people. I can only tell what other people tell. 
Maybe. Yeah, let's let's do uh, it. Um, a lot of people will say I am I'm, I'm very straight for sure. Okay, um, I'm I'm sort of like this person who's uh, very straight to the point, you know. And it can be good, it can be not, it can be awesome. It depends. Some people like it, some people don't. I'm okay. I'm indifferent to it. It's just how I, how I am, I believe. Um, so in general, I'm, I'm very straight to the point and I'm very, um, um, I'm also having a very high standards to what I do, uh, to what I do and what I expect from others as well. So I, I do expect a lot from, from other people. Sometimes they have to tell me like, slow down, you know, we know to you, Greg, <laughs> so it's okay. Um, but I also think, um, that I'm also very empowering. I'm trying to uh, get the best out of everyone um, as much as uh, as I can and as much as they allow me to, as much as they can actually handle at, at, the, at the given time. So I, I think, uh, you know, if you're really like honest, I'm very honest as well, uh, sometimes to the pain. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm also taking feedback very nicely. Like, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't get offended if someone tells me, you know, you're such and such. I, I would just be more curious. Why did you say that? And, and, and maybe there is something I should learn from it. So I would say, um, pretty normal sort of, I don't know. To me, it's very normal. So hard to say, but I would say pretty, um, Pretty straightforward to the point. It doesn't sound in my talks now because you got me <laughs> off guard. But when it comes to architecture and you know technical stuff, I, I'm yeah. quite nerdy as well. You know, yeah. I'm introverted. So that's <laughs> that's amazing. So um, uh, regarding this uh, this uh, what you said, do you have some hints for us uh, about self organization? Yeah. You can start doing the five whys technique in which start with why, right? So why do you those things and why? And then ask ask yourself five times why. Uh, okay. So every so I want to be the best programmer I can be. Why? And then because it makes me feel good and it makes me feel worthy or whatever, you know. Then you say why, why, and you repeat that, and you get to the core of a problem. Uh, sorry, not problem really. Core uh, to the core of it, you know, yeah. essence of who you are, and then and then start optimizing your life around it. So I really believe you should think about what you're doing as a journey, as a, you know, you're you're here on this world to impact you know, some other people don't think only about yourself, but generally try to impact other people. And, and then I believe it can happen naturally if you really do the right thing. Um, but if not, then you should reflect back on whether what you do uh, is organized, right? So one thing, uh, you have to know your times of the day when you're actually, I don't know, productive. I'm the most productive in the morning. So my morning, I know, are very dedicated towards coding because that's the most important thing I really want to do now, uh, professionally. Yeah. And then, and then you know, uh, you can use tomato technique when you have uh, 45 minutes of uh, thinking and, and doing something and then do the 5 to 15 minutes break and so on and repeat that and make sure you don't get distracted. I believe people get distracted too much these days. So, you know, turn off your phone. Um, you know, uh, get enough sleep, exercise, all those stuff you really know, 
But in general, I would say it, if you struggle still, get yourself a coach because a coach is a person. A coach is sort of different than trainer. The difference is coach will not tell you what to do, will make you do what you already know. So yeah. that's a big difference, right? So get yourself a coach. You know, I don't know, maybe a loved one could be a coach. Maybe, maybe someone at work, maybe someone more experienced, maybe someone less experienced. It doesn't mean it needs to be the performance coach from the internet. You know, it can be, it can be someone you trust who can actually keep you accountable and with who you have a good candid and then just try to document it. You know, today I spent enough of time on this. That didn't bring enough value. What can I change? Just, you know, make sure you iterate and you find the, you know, the, the, I think it's called golden circle, right? Like, like the yeah, sweet spot yeah. uh, of what you, of what you want to do and what you want to achieve. Yeah, that's exactly. Uh, do you have any favorite hobbies? Yeah, it's programming. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, ever since I became CTO, I, I really got myself on a mission here. So I haven't had time for hobbies. But I uh, back uh, in, in my previous life, I used to, I used to dance salsa, play basketball, and do all those stuff. These days, it's pretty difficult with the COVID restrictions and you know situation going on. But yeah. in general, I used to play computer games actually uh, quite extensively. What kind of? Uh, I played Quake and Unreal Tournament. Okay. I even uh, I even went uh, to Korea, WCG, uh, representing Poland one time. You can wow, that. yeah. that's amazing! Uh, can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a pretty pretty intense period of my life when I used to commit myself to uh, you know to the goal of getting the best video player I could be. That was back in 2003. Uh, and looking back, uh, I learned so many things about, you know, how how competition really is. Uh, I used to be, okay, I'll be totally honest with you. I used to be this like um, uh, quite arrogant kid who was thinking he's the best, you know, and it's it, it, It's great in the terms of like pushing yourself forward, but it's not really great for your image, right? So generally, I was I was uh, pushing myself to be the best programmer, uh, sorry, best uh, co uh, um, video game player, and then uh, eventually I learned that you know it's not about it. It's really about the Zen approach to it when you just because you know the problem with sportsmen there are two problems. One, you don't get what you want, or you get what you want. And these are two problems. Trust me, you get that, yeah. it's still a problem. Your problems will not fade away just because you achieved something. So you actually want to enjoy what you're doing. That, that's the most important thing. If you really enjoy what you're doing, then nothing else really is important because even if you succeed or not, you just keep going. You know, you just keep doing this. And, and, and this is what I learned from this period of time when I actually started to compete on a high level. Yeah, that's amazing. So what about your work-life balance? Yeah, you mean work-work balance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, work-life. Yeah. No, work-life, yes, of course. So uh, family is the most uh, important thing to me. So, uh, you know, my wife and my kids, um, I pay, uh, uh, I try to pay as much attention as I can to them. Uh, so 
and then there is not much time left. Maybe when my kids get a little bit bigger, then I will actually start enjoying some hobbies um, outside and so on. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. I would say um, I try to do the work in the morning. Uh, agree with uh, my wife on some schedule, you know, when we have lunch, when we have dinners and, you know, keep that 100% dedicated to the family. And then obviously there is a time after work where where I spend time with my kids as well and 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 play around and you know do goofy silly things with them as well so uh, I I try to do that um and then as well as I I really like dancing and 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 still play a little bit of games not too much but uh, a little bit so you will be a speaker at NG Poland uh yeah This year or next year, we are mm-hmm. in, in the, so the ne- next NG Poland is in um, January uh, 25. So what are you preparing for, for this edition? Yeah, so I would like to uh, continue with the EDA approach that we used to talk. Uh, so I, I've done, a, so th- I feel like this talk has evolved quite extensively along the time. Actually, it started back in last year in Poland when I was talking about the uh, CQRS, life after state. Um, and then I started to talk about uh, two micro frontends and back. And now I want to really bring it to another level and talk about the EDA and our approach to it and how to actually manage multiple. Uh, there will be a bit of a twist of NX as well. So generally, how to manage uh, multiple modules slash libraries and where to draw the line in between. So I'm going to be talking a lot about cohesion and coupling and how to make systems that scale. Okay, amazing. I'm looking forward to see you on stage. Greg, thank you. Thank you so much for this um, great discussion. You provide a lot of amazing information for us. So one more time, thank you so much and see you on NG Poland this year. Thank you very much, Darek, for having me. Yeah, see you there. <laughs>